Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am a big fan of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're going to lose. Coming down the stretch, you're going to lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to discuss Michigan State's upcoming game against the Duke Blue Devils in the Champions Classic. This is the 13th year of the early season basketball round-robin matchup between Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, and Michigan State. Uh, it's originally scheduled to end in 2013 after every team had played each other, but it's been renewed again and again, and so currently it's scheduled to play all the way through 2015. There was some concern, we talked about this summer a little bit, about the conference realignment in the Big Ten and the removal of ESPN from Big Ten coverage, whether Michigan State might get dropped or the sort of this little preseason tournament ends, but it does not appear to have happened, uh, nor are there any signs that that is imminent since it's already scheduled for another uh, 2025. Uh, we'd like to thank all of you who support the show financially on Patreon and Substack. If you love what we're doing and want to keep us on the air, head on over to the Final Four is not on the schedule.com slash support to get links to contribute to the show via PayPal or Venmo or on a recurring basis through Patreon or Substack. Please be sure that you're subscribed to the show because, well, it's free. All right, so let's discuss Duke Rod. Uh, Duke is 1-1 one one on the season, coming off a five-point loss against a really good Arizona team at home. They were 27-9 last season, really got hot at the end of the season, but then fell in the round of 32 to Tennessee, who Michigan State had just faced an exhibition. Uh, they had become a real popular pick to reach the Final Four based on their late regular season performance, which you called that it wouldn't happen. <laughs> you were right. Uh, John Shires, in his second season at the helm, uh, after the retirement of Mike Krzyzewski, he's managed to keep the Blue, Devil, uh, Blue Devils humming along and from a recruiting standpoint and, and uh, uh, from a performance standpoint. So it's been very impressive. He's blended his seven returnees in this 10-man rotation. So it's a little bit more experienced team than Duke sometimes has. But uh, in terms of style play, they were pretty slow last year, and they don't seem to have changed much in what little we've seen so far this season. Uh, they are... A little trouble rebounding, which showed up against Arizona, and turned the ball over quite a bit too, and and not getting to the line a whole lot, which I guess suggests that they might be a team that doesn't play real physical basketball. But I, I guess I don't know if that's typical or atypical for Duke. I feel like most years they're more of a finesse kind of team and not getting and pounding side. But maybe I'm totally off on that. Um, no, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's often true. Um, that's not to say that they have the same reputation that, say, Michigan State does, but right. um, they're generally able to play effectively that style. I well, first things first. You said that Shire seems to have it humming along overall. I, I mean, I guess. Look, the record was not bad last year. Twenty-seven and nine. You're not going to about right but they did <laughs> no. go out 
they did go out in the round of 32. And sure. to be honest, if you had talked to people in late January, they didn't really see Duke as a legitimate Final Four threat. They got right. hot at the end of the regular season in the yep. ACC tournament. And that's why that and the name on the front of the jersey is why you started seeing them as if it was funny. The two teams that were almost unanimously hailed to be likely final four teams out of that region, which Michigan state was also in, by the way, were Duke and Marquette. They both went out in the round of 32 <laughs> to, yeah. to Michigan state. And then Duke was beaten by Tennessee. Something I would note, um, having watched that game last night in two of Duke's last three games that they've played. And let's be honest, we probably shouldn't count the Dartmouth game as too much. Uh, this season. So the last two um, power five opponents that they played mm -hmm. Tennessee in that NCAA tournament game. And then Arizona last night, as we're recording this on Saturday, uh, they kind of got punked. I mean, the game last night was certainly not a blowout. It was a competitive game. I don't think it was, there was a lot of rhapsodic talk about it on social media from some of the national ba college basketball ninnies. Um, and <laughs> I don't know that it really merited that. I think there was a lot of the kind of stuff you'd expect in early season game. I don't think it was a, a fantastically well-played game, but they're two teams with a great deal of potential. They played hard, all of that. But I guess the bottom line is there is a fair reason to question Duke's ability to this version of Duke's ability to respond to physicality. Uh, there was definitely the case in that loss to Tennessee last year. That's what Tennessee was all right. about. They couldn't throw the ball in the ocean, but um, they could play hard and play physically and wear you down. And that's exactly what they did. And I would argue that Arizona last night did a lot of the same things I was, let's put it this way of the two teams, the right team won. the team that was better last yeah. night won, and yeah. they were better in large part because they pounded Duke on the glass. And I felt their guards were a lot more physical. And so that doesn't necessarily show up as much in obvious statistics, but if you watch the game, I thought Duke's guards had some trouble really getting north-south very much. Duke, offensively, Duke likes to utilize the dribble drive. And yeah. they have for years. And they really weren't able to do very much of that. And conversely, I think Arizona's guards really got themselves into the lane, you know, created some havoc at times. So I felt that's where Duke really came up a little short physically was in the backcourt well that's going to be interesting in a michigan state matchup if michigan state's guards can be who we thought they were <laughs> you know that's an yeah. area where they could have an advantage they're also more mature than duke's group in general duke's group does have a senior but then after that it's a lot of freshmen and sophomores um michigan state you know a fifth-year senior, a fourth-year senior, and a junior in the starting lineup, that's a little more experience. So 
it, it'll be interesting to watch that. And look, I don't mean to suggest that Duke is any kind of joke. It's a team with a lot of talent at, per usual. There's a number of guys on that roster who are expected to have NBA futures. Right. Um, they have a superstar in Filipowski. So that's something that Michigan State's going to have to deal with. Um, but they're not, you know, for as much talk as there's been after the first two games about, oh, Michigan State got, you know, huge benefit of the doubt based on the way they ended last season. And it was, you know, they got on a little bit of a hot streak and maybe people got out over their skis. Well, I'd argue that right now, based on what I saw, you could say the same thing about Duke. Let's not forget Duke lost that game at home. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That wasn't they a trailed most of the game, game that I was watching. Yeah. 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 That wasn't a neutral court game, you know. And again, that's not the end of the world. It's it's November. Yeah. So I'm not saying that by March Duke couldn't be a juggernaut. They might be, but right now they're not worthy of where they were ranked. If if you're if you're basing it on this moment, you know, that's the Graham Couch equation where you appear to, <laughs> he does his rankings based on a moment to moment feel. I, I don't know that that makes a great deal of sense, but if that's what you're doing, you certainly can't rank Duke as a number five team or as a top five team in the country. There's no way, you know, you lose at home to anybody. That's a negative. If you're supposed to be a top five team, right? Sure. And, and I think it was. To me, it's funny because I think it was as decisive a five-point win as you can have. I just really felt that Arizona clearly looked, and you know, Michigan State's going to see them too. And that was a team because of a lot of roster turnover. There were a lot of questions about how well it was all going to mesh. They had a lot of recognizable names, but you didn't know how all the pieces were going to fit together. Well, early on, which again, doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot for March, but right now, that looks to be a very good basketball team. I'm not sure Duke is a very, very good basketball team just yet. Certainly one with the potential to be that, but I'm not sure they're that right now. And and so I say all this to say anybody who has let the James, you know, the first two games really put them in a funk about Michigan State, I get it, but this is a game Michigan State has a chance to win. I believe that. Yeah, the tricky thing for us in the past has been, I feel like most years, the Champions Classic was the first game. And then last year was one of the, f I, f I feel like most, of the, most at least most it's times it was the it's first varied. game. It's varied. It's varied. Maybe they squeeze one, you know, one little team. Yeah, in recent years, they've, they've tried to do that because I think everybody figured out, hey, this probably isn't the best way to start <laughs> the season. Let's get at least a, uh, you know, a glorified scrimmage under our belts first so we can feel a little more comfortable um, yeah. in a high-level game. Because these are always high-level games. I mean, whether the teams play well or not, let's let's be honest. You're, you're always, no matter which of the schools you're playing, you're going up against very legitimate opposition. And, you know, that's, that's the case this year again. Yeah, I think it was a little unusual course that Duke played such a high-level opponent prior to the... Uh... To the Champions that, Classic. That part, that part is unusual, and you're right. Michigan State had that last year with the aircraft carrier game, and that was unusual. Right, Normally, that, what yeah. you've seen is something like, you know, the game MSU played against Northern Arizona yeah. last year. You play that kind of team first. 
but yeah, you're right. Very, very unusual. And, you know, normally I would say, okay, that's a, you know, advantage Duke, but MSU did see Tennessee and, you know, Tennessee, by the way, went into, uh, went into Cole center last night and won by 10 and put 80 points on Wisconsin. So, um, they are very legit (laughs) and MSU has that, even though it doesn't count, they've seen that caliber of opponent before this year. So it's not going to be jarring in that sense. Yeah, I think I, I don't I guess I haven't I don't have the records in front of me. My my assumption is Michigan State has the worst record of the four teams that I believe this. I believe so. I believe it so. It certainly feels like, you know, Michigan State in general needs an, they need at least a few months to really kind of get get sort of operationally sort of where they want to be most years and so the first game or the second game is not a good place to really get a good judge for how they're going to be play for the rest of the season. No, it it rarely is. I I would well, I would I would say this. There have been years, you know, when when MSU has come in and played very very well in this game. Um, I'm drawing a blank if there's anything that runs to the contrary, but I can't think of any examples of years where MSU has played very well in the Champions Classic and then failed to have a good season. Yeah, you know, I'm even. Yeah, um, there have been years where they've lost games and gone on to have a great year. That's happened. Um, you know, the uh, I'm trying to remember, and I'm drawing a blank, who they played in 15. Um, it must have been... We have to do well, math had to and be figure either, out, I guess. <laughs> had to be either Kansas or, or, um, or, uh, or Duke, because they played Kentucky the next year. Uh, but you know, MSU has had years where they've lost certainly, and then gone on. I mean, the 2018, 19 team, if I'm remembering correctly, who do they play? Maybe not. They might've beaten Kansas that year. I can't recall, but Kansas in any of Kentucky, that's how it goes. Kansas, Kentucky. Yeah. So that, so that is the case, but you know, I think it's, it's certainly not, or it shouldn't be taken as a referendum on where Michigan state will be in March necessarily, but it is a level check for right yeah. now. And I think they've already gotten that to an extent they've already, I think figured out, okay, there's certain elements here that are um, requiring some adjustment. All right. And that's based on Tennessee and based on these first two regular season games. But this will give them yet another of those checks. Yeah. And so you kind of alluded to it earlier. I, I, what is your impression of John Shire? I mean, I think, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, he's getting the same caliber of players as Mike Krzyzewski yeah. is. And then record wise, he's only had a year. Obviously, you mentioned his tournament was an early bow out. But, you know, Duke's had that even under Krzyzewski, too. Sure. It, it was, it certainly wasn't a bad debut season. Um, it just wasn't a great one by Duke yeah. standards. You know, it was okay. It was fine. Certainly wasn't anything to shake anybody's confidence in him. I don't think, but yet it wasn't the kind of year that has people, you know, chest thumping saying we got the next <laughs> coach. K. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the jury's out as to that aspect of things. The recruiting, and look, it's continued. I mean, they've got a tremendous class already lined up, and they're, and they're yeah. not done yet for next year. 
um, what will be a freshman heavy team I expect next year, but more so than this year. But um, you know, that's happening. They're gonna they're gonna have a very good class in twenty five because I expect that they'll land the Boozer twins at the very least. Mm-hmm. So um, that's you know, look. <laughs> They're, they're, the the deal the deal with Duke is that they've got they've got their things set up in such a way that the transition was very very smooth, and this has happened at some places. You know, um, I think it happened for a while at UCLA when Wooden retired. Now that's a lifetime ago, and systems aren't uh, weren't as sophisticated then as they are now. But I mean Duke. Duke has their thing, and by their thing, I mean NIL, I mean booster support, I mean the role that basketball plays on the campus. It's got all of those things. They were just a machine, and so Shire was slotted into that, and I I really do think, and this isn't to, to slight him, but I think if anybody had been put in that job who had a similar background, who came from within the Duke program. So it wasn't somebody coming in looking to put their stamp on things and change everything. Um, As long as it was somebody like him, I think the recruiting stuff would probably be very similar. I don't, I don't believe that John Shire is some uh, incredible recruiter on an individual level. He, he's, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure he's very good, but, I don't believe he's it's him at this stage. I think it's that, you know, Duke's machine is running. And so that aspect of things, talent that's going to be on the floor probably isn't going to change at least for a while. He, he would have to do some losing for that to happen. But there's a difference between having all that talent and being able to achieve at the levels that um, that uh, Duke would expect, you know, and that means Final Four's national title contention. And I don't think we know enough yet whether he's got that bit handled. And we're not going to for a while, you know. I mean, I think you know it's it's funny. Somebody like Dan Hurley goes out, manages to win a national title at UConn last year. Is he a great coach? Is he an elite coach? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think he's done. I don't think he's done enough yet. He's been to one final four in his career. That's great that he won it. And, and certainly he had shown potential at other stops before he got to UConn, but I don't, you cert. I don't speaking for myself. I don't put him in a class with Izzo and self and Patino, you know, he just can't. And so for Shire, because that's the standard at Duke is final fours, national titles, ACC titles to an extent too. Um, we're not going to be able to know for quite a while. It'll take several years before we can determine just how good is he. I'll, I'll give them credit for this. I think it has been as seamless a transition as they could have asked for thus yeah, far. For sure. For sure. They really couldn't have expected it to go much better than it's gone on all fronts. But, you know, now the rubber's going to hit the road as the next few years unfold. And and we'll see. 
you got to imagine outside of some sort of crazy controversy or scandal uh, or a, an, an inexplicable losing streak or something that happens that he's got, you know, the five years in it. Then it's our, if we haven't done anything beyond, you know, make the Sweet 16s, maybe, you know, lead eights occasionally, then there's going to be a lot of pressure to, to, to be at a higher you know, that, level than that's, that. That's it. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. You take the job at Duke, you under you have to understand it's kind of like and and the UCLA job has it's gone on so long now that the same things don't apply. But there was a time, and I can recall this because it was still happening, certainly was happening in the late 70s when I first started to pay attention. And through the 80s and even a little bit into the 90s, there was still that hangover from the wooden era and it was unrealistic nobody was going to do what wooden did because the sport had changed right wooden of wouldn't have been able to do what wooden had done <laughs> you know right. in my in my opinion um but when you're at a place like that so like, okay great you you win 20 some games so what yeah. you win a conference title okay well we expect that can you can you do can you achieve the ultimate goals which again in this sport pretty simple final fours national titles if john shire let's just say were to go the first five years of his career and put up a lot of wins but not really get anything done of substance no final fours you know nothing like that um will he be in trouble I don't know. Yeah, right. I mean, look at John Calipari is actually <laughs> under fire. Right. You know, that's a guy who's won a national title there. He's reached several final fours. But, you know, in those kind of jobs, and there's just a handful of them, it's what have you done for me lately? And I don't, you know, it, it's the interesting thing, too, and we've talked about this on a few occasions at some point, Michigan state is going to be in exactly the same kind of position that Duke was in and Absolutely. that Carolina was in recently where there's going to be a transition and it's highly, highly likely that that transition is going to be guided and essentially decided by the former head coach. And it, that's fine. If it works, you know, North Carolina, by the way, Hubert Davis, Better think about winning a lot this year. Yeah. Because right, the way absolutely. last season went, and and to be honest, his first season, he got bailed out. They barely got into the tournament, and then they got on a heat check run yep. that kind of salvaged the perception of that season, which had been not good. Last year was just not good. If he follows up again with another disappointing season, I think he's under fire. Yeah. You know? I it, So that's... In those kind of jobs, I guess what I'm trying to get at is the tra the seamless transition, the hand-picked successor thing is fine. It can get that guy the job, but that guy better produce because a school like Duke, if they were to go, let's say, a four- or five-year run with Shire and they don't really get anything by the standards that exist in that program, they don't get, they don't get a national title, they don't get a Final Four. If that were to happen, you know, if you're a Duke alum if you're a duke booster what have you duke administration 
it would be pretty easy to start looking around and saying, boy, you know, there are guys out there that are getting the job done at other places that we could probably go get because we're Duke. Maybe yeah. we should, you know? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, although it didn't fit that mold, that's, that's what happened at Carolina. You know, they went and they, they had that weird little period where Guthridge was the successor, but that always felt like it was a placeholder. And then they, then they gave, they couldn't get Roy Williams. And so they, they gave the job to Matt Doherty, who was a Dean Smith guy right. and Doherty didn't get it done. And they went back to Roy Williams and this time they got him. Now that was a little bit different because Roy Williams was also a Carolina guy, but you get my point. At places mm -hmm. like that, the patience is not infinite. And and they're also going to rightly think, well, if we've got this hand-picked guy that's not getting the job done, we have the money, we have the prestige, we have the resources, all of that stuff to go out and, you know, look, if Duke is is looking for a coach, truly looking for a coach on the open market, not what this thing was. Um are they are they a program that could potentially poach another successful power five guy? I would say yeah. Absolutely. There, yeah, would, yeah, be, there sure. would be that potential. They're one of the few. You know, I think Kentucky can do that. Carolina can do that. Duke can do that. Uh Kansas can, because they did it with South. They poached yeah, him from right. Illinois. That's probably about it. Mm -hmm. That's probably where it ends, but Duke is in that conversation. So I don't know. It's look, we're a long way from knowing what happens with John Shire. It's just, there's, there's nothing I've seen yet that convinces me. Well, he's the long-term guy. That is a question that cannot be answered yet and won't be able to be answered until he's actually done some things. And by some things, I don't mean go 27 and nine and finish right. second place in the ACC. That's not what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly the most you can say now is that he has not made things worse, right? He hasn't, the, the program hasn't collapsed. So he's, a, he, he's done that, which is something. Um, if you're, you know, it's easy to draw the comparison with Carolina because of the rivalry, they're, um, they're, they're you know, whatever it is, 20 miles apart, 15 miles apart, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and Carolina went through this just a year ahead of Duke. So it's a natural comparison to make. I think very clearly, although it, it tells you what the standards are in this sport, the only thing that Hubert Davis did better than John Shire in his first year is Hubert Davis got a team hot at the right time. Now that counts. That matters. <laughs> right. But but you got to keep doing that, you know. Um, I would say overall, Shire had a better first season than Hubert Davis did. All right, well, let's uh, get into the lineups here. Uh, the lineups are brought to you by the Brothers of Just Two Gutters. They do fantastic work. If you need gutter work done in the state of Michigan, if you're in the east side of the state, in the metro Detroit area, Kurt and his team will, sorry, Greg and his team will take care of you. Uh, if you're on the west side in Grand Rapids area, Kurt and his team will take care of you as well. They do fantastic work, well, good pricing, and ironically, I was putting up gutters. I gutter today for my uh, foster son who uh, doesn't have a lot of money, so we were putting up a gutter, and I'm like, man, this is why I hired somebody to put up gutters. I don't like to be on the ladder, uh, dirty job, 
messy. It was cold. I don't know. It wasn't any fun. So I'm more than happy to hand it over to, to the specialists and the experts at the Brothers at Just Two Gutters because they do great work. They did a great job with our house, and I'm so glad I didn't do my own gutters. Uh, so let's start with Tyrese Proctor, 6'5 sophomore. Proctor has uh, been a pick to be a, have a big season after his uh, freshman year. Uh, and kind of surprised that he came back. And that's and this is, I guess, a little bit of testament to NIL uh, and just how it's even affecting even the bigger programs too. So he's an Australian, uh, averaging eight points a game on 40, 30, and 50 shooting and six and a half assists per game to two turnovers. Yeah, uh, Proctor is a guy who closed his freshman season very, very strongly. He was a key in there that, late regular season run that started having people talking about them as a final four team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the expectation, it wasn't like, Oh my God, I can't believe he came back, but it was kind of, a, it was a, at least mildly surprising because he was definitely a guy who was on the NBA radar. He's six, five has legitimate point guard skills. And you know, that's, <laughs> that's going to spell as long as you're a decent athlete. And he is, that's going to spell NBA interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when he made the decision to come back, that had a lot to do with people elevating their views of Duke as a legit title contender this year. You know, um, thus far, it's only two games. So the same things we say about Michigan State apply to Duke too, in that <laughs> regard. But he is not off to the kind of start <clears throat> that I think people had expected. And specifically in the Arizona game, you know, he's not been a great jump shooter yet. So part of what makes him effective is his ability to play north south, to get into the lane, get into traffic and make things happen. He's he's not the same kind of player as um AJ Hogard, but um in some ways the profile is somewhat similar that to be at his best, this is a guy that you want playing north south, not east west. Yeah. And he really struggled to get north south against Arizona. I thought, I thought they really got into him, um, and so that's going to be a challenge for AJ Hogard, for example, is to get into Proctor. So obviously a kid with immense potential, but not yet playing great basketball. So if you're Michigan State, you hope he doesn't figure it out for this one. <laughs> Next player is Jeremy Roach, six-two senior. Uh, he's an example of, you know, well, there are only 60 plus guys who go into the first two rounds of the NBA draft and they're only 60 plus, right? And there are a lot more college basketball players. So sometimes people stick around a lot longer than you expect and you just never quite know. So, but Duke is very happy to have him. Obviously he's one of the, you know, obviously started one of the best players averaging 15 and a half points a game on 52, 43 and 67 shooting early on the season. Good secondary ball handler. Uh, and he had at least the parts i saw the game i saw maybe a little bit the second half he struggled shooting threes last night but um definitely a guy who can, can hurt you if, if if you're not careful well if you remember and i didn't go back to look at the stats but when michigan state played duke oh i remember two him years then. ago in the <laughs> he tournament he hit some big shots late yep. in that game if i remember correctly yes um and that was that was a key to that game. It was definitely a key to Duke when he is Roach did some things that you didn't expect him to do. 
perimeter shooting has never been a strength of his. His previous high was last season, 34% from three, which you know is okay. It's good enough sure. that you've got to respect him, but it's not weapon level. Well, so far in the early going, he's shooting 40 plus. If that keeps up, Jeremy Roach is a problem because Jeremy yeah. Roach has the quickness and the strength to do damage playing north-south, as I was just talking about. He's very capable of doing those things and and being effective as an attacking guard. Uh, we'll see if the, if the jumper remains at this elevated level or if he regresses a little bit. He's also very good defensively. And look, this is – and it's it's always – a question for these guys that particularly that Duke and Kentucky have brought in over the last, you know, I don't know what we're at now, the one and done era, 12 <laughs> years, something like that. Yeah. Um, that they're always getting guys, you know, all their guys or most of their guys are, you know, at least top 50. So most, you know, or many of them higher rated than that even. And so the expectation is always, well, everybody were all these freshmen are one and done. Well, that never really happens that way. Some guys just don't pan out. They never become mm -hmm. even competent players, but occasionally you will get a guy like Roach who has been part of Duke's thing. This is the fourth year where he's been, he's been a key part of their thing every year he's been there, but he's not developed into the kind of guy that the NBA would be all in on. So Duke has gotten the benefit of that. And what they have now is a fourth year senior. Who's a very good college basketball player. And that's a great place to be. Michigan state knows all about that. Duke yeah. doesn't get that as often their guys. Normally what happens is they either go pro early or they just don't pan out. And they end up transferring or, you know, there's a guy I, I was just reading about it earlier this week. Um, uh, Jaden shoot. Who's a, a, a wing in his second year of the Duke program. He was a guy that Michigan state from suburban Chicago, Michigan state liked a great deal, recruited very hard. were considered the leaders for quite a while until Duke got involved. <laughs> and then he ended up going to Duke. Well, yeah. he didn't really play last year, and now they've indicated they're redshirting him, which, you know, maybe it'll pan out and he'll be able to be a factor uh, as an upperclassman, but that would be, you know, to me, that's looking like a transfer situation waiting to happen. That's sure, normally yeah. what happens to guys when they don't pan out at Duke. So Roach is kind of a unique story for them. Yeah, and you got to imagine at Duke, it's a place where if you're not getting involved early, you can they with the new slew of freshmen, you know, sensations. They recruit over it, you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just tough to get back into that sort of back into the swing of things. And and the other thing you have to recognize, which is not really a factor on this team, but has been in the couple previous years, they can and a program like Kentucky went hog wild on this approach last year. Um, they, there's now the portal, which means right. they don't even have to just be recruiting over you with a freshman. They can go out and get a transfer. <laughs> yeah. So the next player, Jared McLean, he's the one freshman you're talking to about earlier. He's six, three. Uh, he is averaging eight and a half points a game on 40, 43 and 100 shooting. 
Yeah, very highly regarded. Uh, looked at as a potential first-round draft pick next year. They like his shooting. They think he's solid ball handler. Um, you know all the all the tools, and he's off to a decent start. Um, he's in a nice position in that they're not going to have to ask him to do everything. You know, he can be a guy who plays off the the more experienced guards that are starting along with him. And, um, and they'll, and, and we'll be able to, I think probably get a lot of good looks and open shots. Next would be Mark Mitchell, six foot nine sophomore played his first game against Arizona after missing the opener. He had nine points and four, 10 from the floor, although he's an over, over four from three had five rebounds and two block shots. Yeah. And he's a guy that they like a great deal. You know, he played a lot last year, but it was. You know, again, Duke getting guys back after freshman years is kind of unusual, but that was the template for this this group. They got a lot of their freshmen to come back. Um, Mitchell is he has the potential to do everything you want out of a modern four. He's got the ability to hit threes, even though he went over against Arizona. I think he was a mid thirties guy as a freshman. Um, he's athletic. He's long. You know, six nine, good size to begin with, good wingspan. He has uh, rim protection. He blocked two shots last night. Um, so all the potential and all the tools are there. It's just the question is, does he step forward the way they expect and go from being just a a role player, a rotation guy, to hey, he's one of our key players? Because I think that's what they expect. And finally, uh, brought to you by Brothers Suggestive Gutters, our player that Michigan State wants to keep in the gutter, a pretty obvious one here, is Kyle Filipowski. Uh, he's definitely a star. He's someone who everyone expected, really, to head to the NBA last year, but he came back, 6'11", sophomore, National Player of the Year candidate, obviously, playing like a National Player of the Year candidate. He's averaging 25 points a game and 7.5 rebounds a game on 63, 57, and 86 shooting. Uh, last year, he really couldn't hit the three. This year, obviously, is. And um, I don't know, he's he's going to be probably one of the best fives Michigan State faces this year, you'd expect. No, I would say he'll be the best player Michigan State sees who's under seven foot four. <laughs> I feel I feel confident. That's a strange that. way to put it. What yeah. you're referring to. <laughs> I, I think most of our listeners know what I mean. And maybe even <laughs> without that caveat, we'll, we'll see how the season progresses. Look, you mentioned it. The one weakness for Filipowski last year is he came in with a reputation as an extremely skilled big man, and he shot 28% from three. He got better as the year went along, but still, overall, that was a little substandard. I think the expectation was he would be much more consistent in that area of the game, and boy, he's, you know, through two two contests at least, he's really showing it. Um, this This is a guy who uh is set to have a big big year and he's going to be a huge problem for Michigan State. There's there's no doubt about that. Cuz he can score anywhere on the floor. So what you're likely to have I think is you know it'll be interesting to see Madi guard him. I think Carson probably is well suited to do it. Um because he's a, I just think he's a little more reliable out on the, you know, way out on the floor. 
Yeah. Um, Mahdi can handle pick and roll stuff, but they don't just use Filipowski that way. They really use him as a as an, uh, an all-purpose offensive weapon. So it's going to be challenging. It's fair to say that he's hit more threes than Michigan State this season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's move to the reserves. We'll begin with Caleb Foster, 6'5", freshman point guard, averaging 7.5 points a game on 60, 33, and 67 shooting. Yeah, very highly regarded player. Um, they think he's got a future as a point guard. Obviously, there's not a, a spot available for him to start on this team with the three guys they've got, but he's going to play a substantial role. And I think he is their sixth man, at least in terms of talent. Um, there's no question about that. Uh, again, good size for the position, reasonably good passing instincts, they say, and he's a capable shooter. He hasn't shown that definitively yet, but they think he'll be all right. Next would be Jalen Blake, 6'2", junior, averaging five points a game. Uh, although, you know, his minutes went from 19 in the opener against a weak Ivy League Dartmouth to just two minutes against Arizona. Uh, he was averaging 13 minutes a game last season and shot 35 and 34. And that's, uh, well, that's the interesting thing is, you know, so they've got these two freshmen that they've added to the mix. So I think the question becomes, does that push him out of the rotation more or less completely? You know, only playing two minutes against Arizona, not a not a great indicator, but you need a little more evidence to see what, what the, what the feeling is. The, the thing you like about him is that he just said he's played, you know, it's nice to have that experience. And again, that's something that at times Duke has not had enough of in recent years, in my opinion. Well, and, and you wonder with his size or maybe it's matchups, you know, against Arizona that, that he was limited in that way in the game. I mean, who knows what the possible was. Possible, but we'll, you know, I think the, yeah, the Michigan State game will be another data point to see, okay, exactly. does he, and, and look, here's the thing. We don't have enough of a handle yet on, on Shire, I think, to know definitively what does he want to do in terms of a rotation. So is he a guy who wants to go like nine deep, or is he a guy who kind of prefer to play like a core seven? And maybe an eighth guy just gets some spare minutes here or there. You know, I think that's an open question right now. And that would affect Blake. So next player, Ryan Young. And almost, uh, well, I guess he's someone that Michigan State missed on in the transfer portal when he left Northwestern a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. 6'10", 240-pounder, uh, averaging one point a game, four and a half rebounds a game, about 16 minutes. Uh, he's a little bit, had a bigger role last season. It is interesting right now. I mean, those people who are clamping, and there were a decent number. I mean, it's again, you know, whatever on the, the message board stuff. There were a decent number, really, you know, claiming. Can you imagine anyone actually who is clamoring from a year ago actually clamoring for him now over Madi Sissoko or Carson Cooper? Yeah, I can. I can. And you know why? Because <laughs> Ryan Young is a, little, is a little better in the low post. So I can't imagine that. They'd be wrong. <laughs> but I can imagine it. Um, look, he's essentially the same guy that he was at Northwestern. And that's not a bad guy. I mean, Ryan Young yeah. is a pretty effective rebounder. He's a guy who can really get some things done as an offensive rebounder. Um, he's got a decent post game. So those things are positives. And he's obviously very experienced as a fifth-year guy. The negatives, though absolutely exist and the biggest negative is just he just doesn't move his feet very well and so when he's out there 
defensively, it creates an issue for you. And you have to figure out, you have to change, or uh, change is the wrong word. He narrows, in my view, the options available to you in terms of how you defend. You know, because he's just not mobile enough to where you can get away with even thinking about, you know, coming with hard hedges and pick and roll. Or if he's got to guard somebody who can shoot, like if he had to guard somebody who was like the guy who's ahead of him in the rotation, Filipowski, can Ryan Young get out and get out to a three-point shooter with regularity? No. So that's the thing. As a backup five-man, he's a pretty good option. Oh, for sure. Because there's certain things that he can do. But, you know, there was a point last season where they were relying on him very heavily. And that started to wane as Filipowski really picked up steam and Duke started to figure some things out. His spot in the rotation started to shrink a little bit. And I think what we're seeing thus far in terms of the minutes, you know, mid-teens, let's say, is probably realistic. He'll be in their rotation all year. I'd be very surprised if he falls out of it. But when he's in the game, you know, you've got to attack him. Those are points in time where Michigan State's guards should be able to get any mid-range shot they want in pick and roll. They really should, because I don't see how Duke has any other option with him on the floor. I do recall he, he had a game against Michigan State where he just torched Michigan State, didn't he? I, Offensive I think with rebounds, there's... yes. It was it was that game. Um, and that's why people two, were clamoring for him. Two years ago. Two yeah. years ago at Breslin. Yeah, if I remember destroyed. correctly, where yeah. he was just really effective on putbacks. And, and look, and that team really, that team really, really had a hard time with post players, if you remember. So he did some damage all the way around, around the rim. Yeah. But. You know, that's just, (laughs) there's certain guys that, and and I don't think he's a great player anyway, but there's certain guys, you know, I'll give you another example. Somebody like Luca Garza, Michigan State never would have recruited. I'd be highly, highly surprised if they ever would have recruited him. Yeah. That doesn't mean he doesn't have great talent. He's one of Iowa's all-time best players, right? But it's a stylistic thing. When you don't have the athleticism, to be able to give Tom Izzo the kind of defense that he wants. And when you can't run the floor and transition and rim run the way he wants, he's not going to even look at you. I mean, there have been a handful of exceptions <laughs> over the years where he's done that. You know, um, Derek Nix. I was going to um, Nix. Nick, Nick Ward, but Nick Ward he gets actually a move okay. was a great transition player player yeah he just never really figured it out defensively but you see what happened despite his being one of the best pure low post scorers and a very good rebounder that Izzo's ever had his role in his last season started to shrink pretty substantially because Xavier Tillman could do things defensively that he couldn't do yeah and Michigan State so that's that's the the young bit there's a reason why Michigan state wasn't interested in him as in the transfer portal. Um, and, uh, it has nothing to do with whether he's a guy capable of doing some positive things for a, for a high major team. 
It's just he doesn't do the things that Michigan State needs. Right. Sean Stewart's a 6'9 freshman, averaging four points a game and three and a half rebounds a game and seven minutes a game in the early going so far this season. Yeah, he's one that I've kind of got my eye on and that I think could be interesting because if if what I talked about at the outset around Duke's lack of physicality ends up being a problem, like, for example, if they continue to struggle rebounding the basketball, um, this is a guy who I could potentially see his role increase. He's very highly regarded, but he's a freshman. And, you know, you're seeing it. Like, Duke's class was very highly rated, this group. But look at the minutes. They've got two guys that are playing significant roles out of that class. You know, yeah. um, what that says in one thing it says, in my opinion, is that um, the talk about the weakness of the 2023 class nationally is being borne out, you know? So you've got mm-hmm. guys that were highly rated that you're looking around saying, well, they're not playing huge roles, you know, and (laughs) that's the case, even in a class like Duke's class, like Michigan States, you know, it's, but, but this is a guy I would have my eye on in the long term. I'm not sure we'll see much of a difference for him in playing time uh, on Tuesday, but over the long haul, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a guy we look up in February and we see he's averaging 15 minutes a game instead of seven and a half. And finally, Christian Reeves, seven foot one sophomore, uh, he's playing deep reserve, obviously the five. Uh, so he's averaging two and a half points a game and two and a half rebounds a game in only seven and a half minutes. Yep, and you know that's again yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the deal there. It's how deep does Shire want to go? He's got size, which helps always, but I I think that they probably feel like they're reasonably covered with the guys they've got. So I don't know if I expect their rotation to truly go 10 deep. All right. So let's go over the five keys of the game brought to you by nudge printing. Nudge printing does a great job of getting you Spartan apparel. Uh, if you're interested, if you're an organization uh, or like a school club or something like that, you're trying to do a fundraiser, which my family's doing uh, with our, uh, one of our teams at school, they do all the design. They set up an online store for you. They screen print everything. They do all the orders. They take all the money and they do every, they ship everything out. So there's nothing that you have to do except agree on the logo and the colors. So it's super simple and it's a great way as a fundraiser, or if you want to just get a bunch of shirts for a corporate event or something like that, it's a great way to do things. Very cost effective and their apparel, whether you're buying their custom printed stuff or the Spartan apparel, super comfortable, breathable. Uh, it's our favorite stuff in our family and I actually have to get more, uh, my family keeps bugging me. I got to get some more. So that's my next task to do this week. Uh, so again, check out nudge printing at nudgeprinting.com. 20% off your order. If you type in final four at checkout. So beginning with five keys of the game, number one, the start, uh, obviously there's been a problem though, not the last game, but certainly joint James Madison and the exhibition game against Tennessee and even James Madison a little bit after they kind of got rolling, a, they kind of let up a little bit. So anyway, can't get in a hole against a team like Duke. Because obviously it's really tough to dig out of that hole. Look, I, yeah, it's it's obvious to me and probably to everybody listening to this. Some of these these keys that I'm talking about are things that very much fall into the obvious category. But you can't <laughs> dig yourself a hole against a team with talent like Duke has, because then then 
you know, what you're trying to do with an opponent like this is one, you want to at the very minimum, let them know, Hey, we're here all night and we're, we can hang with you or we're better right. than you, whatever case may be. But you really don't want to give them confidence and, and just let them get rolling. And, you know, the next thing you know, you're dealing with an avalanche. Yeah. And we've seen that before with Michigan state. And I feel like we've yeah. seen it in the, the, uh, the champions class against Duke as Duke and North Carolina, especially, I feel like, especially North Carolina. I feel like we've had some games where it just gets out of hand real quick. You mean, you mean Kentucky? I mean, well, not in the champions classic. I oh, some take games against North Carolina, Carolina where they just get, yes, just think, yes, you know, I feel like there've been a couple of those like games that. that just like over by Absolutely. 10 minutes into the game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what Michigan state, I mean, we'd be talking about this even if we hadn't seen the Tennessee and the James Madison games, we'd right, be talking absolutely. about this for that reason. Yeah. It may not be the first key to the game, but it certainly would be there somewhere. Uh, so the second key to the game, the guard play, uh, as you mentioned, Duke has a lot of talent here with Jeremy Roach, who did, had a great game against Michigan state a couple years ago in the tournament. Uh, McLean Foster, really good NBA prospect. So uh, they can definitely get some stuff done, but you know, maybe and. And of course, AJ and, and Jaden, they have to play and show up. Yeah, and that's what's got to happen. If, if AJ Hogarth and Jaden Akins are the guys we expected them to be, and, you know, and Tyson Walker is who Tyson Walker is, uh, Duke's going to have a tough night. I mean, that, that really is as important as anything, is uh, seeing that Arizona game. And, and knowing how this Michigan State team wants to play defensively and has shown the capability of, of doing, I think, I think there is a real possibility that defensively Michigan State can really bother these Duke guards. Um, now, at the other end, that's where you've got to see a change. And you have to see A.J. Hogard playing like the best version of A.J. Hogard, getting north-south getting into the lane, getting to the rim, creating opportunities for himself or for teammates and making the right decisions when he's in those positions. You see Jaden Akins kind of just figuring out how to get comfortable with, with what his role is and what he's capable of doing. Because I feel like even though the, the Southern Indiana game was certainly better, I feel like offensively he's been fighting it a little bit. Yep. I agree. And, you know, and we expected, we expected more. There, there's just no other way to put it. Right. So, yep. but, I, but I, I think that if Michigan state's guards are who we think they can be, this is very much a key for the game. Do you remember when you're watching the Duke Arizona game, you mentioned, you know, they had the guards had trouble getting North South. Do you think yeah. that was a reflection of the, of maybe uh, bad picks or screens that aren't set, being set very well by their big men? Cause you, you know, as you mentioned too, maybe a lack of physicality in the team. Do you think that was a little bit of what was going on too? Or? Maybe, maybe, but um, I, I, I just felt like, I just felt like Arizona's guards took the challenge to um, make it difficult for Duke's guards to get to the spots on the floor they wanted to get to. And they did that with good technique, but with quickness and with strength and toughness. And Michigan State certainly has players capable of doing similar things. There's no question about that. You know, if, if you're Duke, if you're John Shire, 
this is despite how Michigan State has looked, this is not a matchup I think you're excited by. Um because of what you know the potential is. Yeah. For Michigan State, what they're capable of doing and how that might match up. Now look, could Duke's guards figure some things out and have a great game? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just telling you where I think the potential is for a problem for them and how Michigan State potentially can exploit that. So the third key to the game are the boards. Arizona handled Duke on the glass. Michigan State, you know, I'm still not quite sure. I mean, they look better offensively. Defensively, they had some laps in the defensive boards. But it looks like a team that they could maybe get some things done. So, I, I'm not, again, I'm not quite sure where this Michigan State team is going to end up. But I think they'll be... I think they're going to be better, but how much better, I think, than last season is, I think, a question. One thing that has not shown up yet, you know, last year's group was they weren't a dominant defensive rebounding team, but they were pretty good. They were substantially yeah. improved over where MSU's been in recent years. So that has not carried over yet to this season. This group intermittently has shown some improvement on the offensive boards. Again, Tennessee game doesn't count, but Tennessee is a standard bearer as a rebounding program. Same Rick Barnes values all the same things Tom Izzo does in that respect. And Michigan State really did nice work. One of the best things that came out, right, one of the best things that came out of that game, in my opinion. And then against James Madison, while they struggled a bit on the defensive boards they had i think they had 17 offensive rebounds yeah a ton yeah in that game yeah so that was a real positive then you go to southern indiana they have six and Izzo wasn't happy so i don't know yet what they are i still as i've been saying i look at this team and i say there's no excuse for them not being improved on the offensive board substantially from what was a bad effort in that area last year. Um, and that's down to that's down to a guy like Carson Cooper playing more minutes. It's down to Malik Hall playing a different role, and I think he's better there than the guy he's replacing, yep. um, Joey Hauser. You've got two freshmen in Xavier Booker and Cohen Carr who absolutely can change the game in that area on a given night. And then I think Jaden Akins, the, we talked about him still trying to figure out things on the offensive end but one thing that he's done very well thus far is rebound i was just gonna say 18 boards in two games yeah yeah so you put all of that together and then and then when i look at how duke really struggled to handle arizona and i think yeah there are opportunities here msu's got to cash in on them fourth key to the game pace Uh, duke doesn't want to run and michigan state obviously does especially more this year which is so weird because I feel like in years past, most of the time, Duke was a team that likes to play fast, but it certainly does not seem to be the case this year. Depends on the team. You know, depends on the team in the year. Not always. Um, you know, that that 15 team that won their last national title, I didn't look at the pace numbers, but that was a team that really liked to go in the post to Okafor a lot. Oh, yeah. So I don't know that they were, I don't know that I would expect that they're, their pace numbers were particularly great. Uh, the, the big thing to me is another thing that showed up a bit in the Arizona game is Duke's transition defense was a little sloppy. Yep. And MSU 
one thing that's been consistent thus far. They haven't always been as efficient as you'd like with it, but they have been much, much more consistently, certainly than last year, looking to push the basketball. And that is exactly what you want to see in this game because I think if they can exploit that, exploit some spotty transition defense, get some easy baskets, that's a good way to build some, obviously to get some points on the board, but also to build some momentum. You know, this is the kind of game where, and I normally don't, you know, highlight real plays are great, but they don't usually win you very much. But this is the kind of game where, because it's high level, because the attention of the whole country is on it, um, the college basketball country at least, Mm -hmm. guys know that coming in. And I think that playing, you're playing in a pro arena, you know, all those things are factors. So I think if Michigan State can get loose early, get some, you know, get a Jaden Aiken streaking down the left wing and throwing one down or Cohen Carr, you know, and, and have some of those moments early that can really put the wind in your sails, you know, but just as a general proposition, I think getting into transition, forcing Duke to consistently get back is something Michigan state needs to be doing with some regularity. Certainly release some of the stress and pressure of defensive rebounding too if you're a threat to head the other direction they're probably mm-hmm. not going to go and go after it as much right you would ho- exactly exactly it's a good point um you, you put that fear in them and they're thinking more about floor balance that should help you get some easier defensive rebounding opportunities absolutely and so the fifth and final key to the game find the range something that michigan state has not done very well two for 31 in the first two games and I don't think we would, if I were to tell you that Michigan State would hit two three-pointers in the first two games, I don't think you'd guess that one of those threes would be from Trey Holloman. So, um, obviously, they just have to get better. Yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's no two ways about it. Izzo, um, <laughs> it's it's funny. I uh, Jim Comperoni did a piece coming out of that game where he said Izzo's um, post-game uh, approach after James Madison was to say that he didn't think it was a big deal. He'd seen this team shoot extremely well all summer, all fall. Just one of those things. He's not worried about it. But then he said, but what else would he say? Because you don't want to come in talking about the sky is falling. Well, okay. That's a, you can't, that's, that's a no win proposition then, huh? I I tend (laughs) to believe him in this case. I tend to believe him mostly because I pointed this out in the last game. Even if they're just getting average contributions, career average contributions from Tyson Walker and Jaden Akins in that phase of the game, just that you'd feel a lot better. Are you are you really ready? You you could say, well, Malik Hall's shot looks different, and you know Hogard and Holloman haven't yet proven to be great shooters, and the freshmen. None of them, well, none of the ones that are playing at least came in with reputations as great shooters. Um, you know, fine, that's all legitimate, but do you really think that over the course of the season, Tyson Walker and Jaden Akins aren't going to shoot the ball well? <laughs> I mean, is that where we're at? I, I, I don't think, I don't think I buy into that yet. So pump the brakes. 
that said, they've got to get some production. And if you want to win games like this one against this kind of opponent, do you need threes to be a part of it? Most likely. Yeah, you do. So the sooner they have a good shooting game, the better for everybody. Yeah. Most of all the fan base. <laughs> Cause I don't think the players are rattled. Well, and I mean, the, they shot well in both exhibition games. I mean, yes, they're Correct. exhibition. They don't count. Correct. But I mean, it wasn't. There was no. There's nothing coming away from those games except maybe saying, "Yeah, Malik's shot looks a little off," and that for sure. But outside of that, that was it. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's the thing. So, you know, are, are, is this team going to be top three in the nation the way last year's group was? Probably not. But I don't know that I expected that anyway. I don't think they have to be. Because I think this team is capable of scoring points in ways that last year's team was not. So then it comes down to can they be good enough, whatever good enough is, to get the job done, you know, and and to right. be effective enough to make the offense hum right, to get enough production, all of those things. And I am at this point, I am still in the camp of believing that that is entirely probable. But we'll yeah. see. Well, we've seen a couple things. One is the offensive rebounding has been better for sure, and which is going to give you more chances and opportunities, so you don't have to hit yep. as many you know threes, for instance. And a higher volume of free throws with a team that shoots free throws well, except against James and Madison. That's which suggests other ways of scoring too, right? I mean, so to your point, you don't have to. And you make a good point there. If I had to have a sixth key, the free throw line would be a pretty good one. Um, and I mentioned this in the post game in, in uh, Southern coming out of Southern Indiana. One positive, for sure, that's there in those first two games, is Michigan State has shot a boatload of free throws. Now, could that just be happenstance? Maybe. I, I do think it is reflective of a more active team. Um, a team that's being a little more aggressive and that's reflected in a lot of different ways, meaning they're getting more second chances. Guards are looking to penetrate a little more often, although I'd like to see AJ do that a little bit more, but you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, there's a number of different factors that go into that. Yeah. It could be that that's, I don't expect them to stay at the level they've been at by the way, but Duke really has not gotten to the line very much in their first two games. And again, trying to draw too many inferences from two games is dangerous, but it does go along with what I'm talking about in terms of, you know, physicality and, and toughness and all of these things. If Michigan state can, which is rare to be saying about a game against Duke, normally you're praying that the officials don't turn it into a free throw parade. <laughs> <laughs> because that usually right. goes Duke's way, right? And it might yep. still in this game. But there is a suggestion, at least, even if it's a small one thus far, not something I'd be willing to bet my house on, but something to watch, that free throws could be something that tilts Michigan State's way. And then if that's the case in terms of attempts, then they've just got to hit them, which I think they will. I think the last game was more reflective of what they are than that first game was. Yeah, no, I think so too. And again, if you look at the previous games, that would also suggest the same thing. 
Well, if that's the case, then JBLs will go crazy if there are that many fouls called. And because yeah. <laughs> I, I assume he's calling the game. I guess I didn't look, but I can't imagine he's not. Uh, I would think so. Yeah, I, I would think so because Vital is still out. So um, yeah. they're not. They're not. I don't think they're doing the one and one uh, thing where one team calls the first game and one team calls the second game. Right. Well, I guess any final thoughts about Michigan State? I guess the, the the one caution I put is, you know, this is always the early in the season, whether you win or lose. It's not like the season's not over. It's not like football, right? You you can drop games early. You want to look good. Obviously, you want to be competitive and show signs of growth from previous games. But, you know, the sky's not falling at some point if Michigan State loses this game. Uh, but it'd be a great one to get a, get under your belt. And It, w- it would. And... And it's and it's also um, I think you want to you want to see you want to see your team you want to see yourself your Michigan State playing well you know they don't since these games started they don't have a lot to feel great about just yet I think the way they they got off the mat against Tennessee is the one thing that they can turn to, but it's countered by the fact that they dug themselves that hole to begin with. <laughs> right. exactly. So that, you know, that's a double edged sword, right? <laughs> uh, you want to have something to build on. You can feel good. Even if you lose, if you play well, because as you say, and, and everybody ought to have, even if many haven't learned this lesson by now, but the actual win loss thing doesn't matter very much here. Only in terms of fan psyche and, and the team building some confidence, but in terms of tangible things beyond that, it doesn't mean very much, but I do think how well you play can be important because you want to, certainly you want to be building confidence, right? For sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you, if you're looking, if you have visions of high seating in the NC tournament, these are the wins you need to have, obviously. Right. So if you want to get a one or two seed, you have this win, it that's going to go a long ways to helping to the, towards those goals. Yes, the James Madison loss. But if that's like, you know, if you have lose four games this year and one of them is James Madison, who cares, right? Right. Because if, right. if you manage to knock off Arizona, Baylor, and Duke or something like that. So, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll be back uh, after the game, obviously, and and give our rundown of what happened. Again, a reminder to go to Brothers Just Your Gutters to get bro- at brothersgutters.com. You can find the contact information for Greg and Kurt in your area in Michigan down below in your podcast player or on the website. Uh, also, check out nudgeprinting.com or fabricatedcustoms.com. That's their, uh, obviously, their custom print shop. You can find out more stuff there and all that they offer. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.